Popheads, happy holidays and Merry Christmas. Welcome to issue 60 of 3BZ Presents, the Tomcast Popcast, also known as Popcast. And I am your loving host. My name is Tom. Please follow the show on social media at Tomcast Popcast on Twitter. I'm sorry, at Tomcast underscore Popcast on Twitter, at the Tomcast underscore Popcast on Instagram. Email the show at TomcastPopcast at gmail.com. And finally, you can join Pophead Nation at patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast, where you can join the nation and experience the benefits that come with it. Thank you so much to our current Patreons. That would include the Aspen Hill Chody and the Squidmaster General, Brian Broussard. And please, finally, one last request. If you get the chance, click that little subscribe button for this podcast. You know, if you get a chance to, five-star reviews are awesome, and we love getting those. So thank you so, so very, very much. All right, we got a show for you today. How about that? It seems like I've been doing a show pretty much every day this week, whether it's been Popcasts or Beer Night in San Diego's. Uh, I, 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 I'm not sure there's been a day so far this week without a microphone in my face at some point. And that's okay, because I really like doing this. So this will get us finally caught up, actually. We're going to be caught up after this episode because we're doing Chapter 5 of The Mandalorian. Now, before we get into Chapter 5 and our review of this newest of the episodes, uh, a little bit of Mandalorian news dropped right just about the day before the episode came out. And uh, that, has, that has to do with some comments that Jon Favreau recently made at a, uh, at a function. He was speaking with a Hollywood reporter, and he talked a little bit about what's up next for The Mandalorian. And he says, this is a quote from the article, quote, I'm putting a lot of effort working with Dave Filoni to figure out what the overarching story is and the storyline for all these characters and what the world is like. We want to make sure that we have a roadmap because we're also a puzzle piece that fits into a larger Star Wars universe that has lots of other movies and a lot of other projects. And we want to make sure we are consistent with them. That's good stuff. He also went on to say, Quote, we have a good 25-year patch of road in the Star Wars canon that nobody is exploring right now, and it's the most interesting time for me as a storyteller to explore, the time after the fall of the Empire and before the resurgence of darker forces. End quote. So it sounds like our uh, executive producer and main story writer is hard at work making sure that uh, the Star Wars universe is going to be cohesive and that uh, the Mandalorian's role will not be... Lesser than it should be, as far as that goes. And that's good Good to hear. Today was the release of... today. The day I'm recording this, I'm doing, recording this on Friday after Chapter 5 of The, of the Mandalorian was released. Uh, you guys probably won't hear this until Monday, because I have been inundating you guys with, with podcasts recently, so I want to give you guys a couple days to catch your breath after uh, listening to me incessantly for the past week or so. 
And I hope that's okay with you guys. And plus, you know, I don't, you know, there's no rush. You know, I mean, yeah, I get up at, at, you know, four in the morning to watch the show, but that doesn't mean you have to do that and then listen to this podcast immediately after that. I mean, if you do, that's great. But there's no, you know, I want to give you some time. Everyone's got a different schedule. Everyone has different lives, different responsibilities. And we're all in this together. We're all here for the fun. So you'll be hearing this on Monday morning. Hopefully you've watched the episode 47 times. And this discussion will hopefully be interesting to you. All right, so chapter five of The Mandalorian is titled The Gunslinger, and it is written and directed by Dave Filoni. This is the first episode of the series thus far without Jon Favreau as a writer for the episode. So that is interesting to note, as uh, this show does a couple things that are very different from what we've seen thus far on the show. Before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty, I want to kind of share my overall thoughts on the episode I really, really liked it in a lot of senses. Uh, there are some really great set pieces, uh, great opening to the episode as well. Uh, and I liked, I, in, a, in, a, in one sense, I really liked the episode. It was a lot of fun because of some of the reasons I'm, we're going to talk about as we dive into it. There are starting to be some story concerns for me. Uh, I feel I'm getting concerned that we're slowing down a little bit. We're not quite sure where to go with things. I don't think that's the right word. It just seems that we're bordering on meandering a little bit, and I don't want to see the show do that too much. Luckily, the, show, the show's runtime dictates that it's at least fast-paced, so we're not wasting a lot of time. We're not getting necessary filler episodes. Um, but this does almost come across as a bit of a detour, even more so than I thought the, the Sorgan episode was. At least in the Sorgan episode, there was some going forward with the story. In in this one, and we're going to talk about those details, I feel like there's a little bit of a setback from some of the forward progress of the previous chapters in the series. All right, so let's get into it. I talked about it right away. This episode opens excellently. Incredible space battle. That's what you want to see in Star Wars. You, you, we, that's what we haven't seen yet. There's a really cool, kick-ass space battle. And we get to see... Uh, the Razor Crest in Space Battle. He's being pursued. The Mando, Baby Yoda, being pursued by another bounty hunter. I was trying to get a better glimpse of this bounty hunter's spacecraft, you know, his, the starfighter that he is using to chase down the Mandalorian. Um, I couldn't get a real clear shot. From the cockpit view, it looked very similar to the Naboo starfighters from Episode One. But as we know, those starfighters were not very powerful. And this guy had some serious weaponry going on. He is unleashing a volley of blaster fire on the Razor Crest. So we get to see some cool uh, maneuvering in, in space. But the Mando seems like he's getting into a little, a little bit of trouble with his bounty hunter. The pilot of this, of, this star, of this starfighter is named Riot Mar. I don't know much about him. Sounds made up. I think he's made up. And, I, again, I don't know what starfighter he has. It looked sort of like the old Z-95 headhunters that, if you are a big dork like me, you may recognize from uh, previous video games, or computer games, actually, the X-Wing and the TIE Fighter series in particular. They were a, a starfighter that predated the X-Wing fighters. And it's a, there's a very good chance that's what it was, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of keeping my eye out to see if there's more details so anyways, we're in this great space battle, 
and uh, it looks like the Mandalorian's got is is in dead to rights. And you hear they're having a, the bounty hunters issuing demands over the loudspeaker, which is one of those things where, like, if I were um, being pursued by a starfighter, I think I would just turn my my comms off. I don't think I really want to hear from the other jackass behind me trying to blow my brains out. Anyways, he issues the line that we heard the Mandalorian say in, in Chapter 1. The, I can take you in warm or I can take you in cold. And uh, the Mandalorian doesn't like that very much. So he does what... Uh, what all good starfighters do, he, he, he rips off Tom Cruise, he does a Maverick, and we, he throws the brakes on, lets the other guy fly right by him, and then blows his brains out, and says, hey, that's my line, don't, don't take my shit. He doesn't say it quite like that, but you know what I mean. But the Razor Crest is pretty badly damaged from the battle, they're sort of drifting, the Mandalorian, after the title sequence comes on, has to sort of reboot some of the computer equipment in the, in the, in the cockpit of the Razor Crest, and uh, they need to find Haven, a safe haven we get again, this time for repairs on the Razor Crest as they uh, receive some damage. They have a bad fuel leak that needs to be taken care of. And uh, where do we find ourselves? Oh, that's kind of convenient. The nearest planet happens to be Tatooine. And as they make contact with the Mos Eisley Tower we get the classic shot of Mos Eisley, the, the moons overhead as the planet comes into view, just like that Star Destroyer opening in Episode 4, except this time it's the Razor Crest. So it's a much smaller craft <laughs> descending to the planet. Initial, initially, I was pretty stoked on seeing Tatooine again and what, what we are going to get for it from it. By the end of the episode, though, I think I kind of changed my mind on that. <laughs> so I'll, I'll talk more about uh, why I felt that way um, once we cover more of the episode. Uh, so the Mandalorian settles down. He gets, he gets to park himself in a, in a nice uh, docking bay. Uh, not the same docking bay as the Millennium Falcon. We're not going to docking bay 94, but we are going to a docking bay in Moss Eisley. He settles down and is greeted by droids, pit droids, who you may remember from also from episode one, The Phantom Menace. And they're coming out to do repairs on the ship. Well, we know the Mandalorian is not a fan of droids, so he fires a blaster bolt, scares the crap out of them, and they scurry away before we are greeted by the mechanic who controls those, those, those pit droids. We meet Pelimoto, played by comedy legend Amy Sedaris. How about that? So she has a fun role. And if you don't recognize her quite at first, I mean, you know the voice. It, it, Amy Sedaris' voice is infinitely distinguishable. So kind of a fun little twist to see her show up in a Star Wars show. I thought that was interesting. And she's going to be the mechanic who has to conduct the repairs on the Razor Crest. Now, just before the Mando disembarked to have this, this meet and greet with, with Pelimoto, he decides that uh, he's in a little baby Yoda's asleep, the... the Dog fight was a little intense for him. Put him, put him right to sleep. So the Mandalorian kind of like puts him in like a, I don't know, the, the Razor Crest equivalent of a pantry, I suppose, like some kind of cabinet somewhere, which is an odd choice. You know, we, we've talked a little bit about the obvious comparisons to Lone Wolf and Cub and, you know, the first couple of episodes of the series, how he takes the baby baby Yoda with him pretty much everywhere he goes into battle with the Mudhorn and, you know, all, through all kinds of situations. And part of that is because, as demonstrated in the previous chapter, baby Yoda's got a mind of his own and is going to do what he wants. He does what he wants! So him putting the 
Baby Yoda away in another cabinet doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. Because once Baby Yoda wakes up, Baby Yoda's just going to leave. So what's he doing? Again, poor parenting decisions by the Mandalorian. And, and you know, what are you going to do? These Mandalorians, these bucket heads, so thick in the head. Thick in the helmet, if you will. Any hoot. That provides him the opportunity. I guess he assumes that Baby Yoda's safe and sound, sleeping away in that little little cabinet on the ship. And he heads out into Moss Eisley proper. Now, Moss Eisley, you know, again, we're in that period five years after the fall of the Empire. Jabba the Hutt's dead. Uh, Moss Eisley, not quite the bustling spaceport that it was previously. And uh, no, that becomes pretty apparent as we enter into possibly the most famous location, if not in Tatooine itself, in Star Wars overall. We enter the Moss Eisley Cantina, the famous cantina scene from episode four. It is, um, again, not as bustling as it once was. Business is, is, is slow. We don't have um, Figurin Danan and his band playing. There's a lot fewer customers. And, uh, they, but they do seem to have become slightly more progressive since the fall of the Empire. Uh, as uh, you may remember, droids were not welcome there. But now there is a droid bartender and that's, I guess that's progress in the Star Wars universe. Uh, you probably recognize the form of droid. The droid behind the bar is an EV series droid, which you will probably recognize from Return of the Jedi, where uh, the evil torture droid in Jabba's palace, the EV-99 unit, was at, you know, putting the hot iron presses on the, on the droid's feet and stuff like that. This is that series droid. It's another evoking of, of familiarity, in the Star Wars universe on this particular series. And this episode's pretty heavy with the fan service. I'm not going to lie. It's, uh, it's pretty all over the place. My, my Alexa just sounded behind me. Sorry, guys. I guess I got a delivery. We'll take care of that later. Um, where was I? Damn, Alexa, I ruined it. I lost my train of thought. This is an episode very heavy with fan service. And, and if going to Tatooine isn't signifying that on its own. I mean, the, the, the sheer number of references to other things in Star Wars, the, you know, the, the winks and nods in this episode are pretty heavy. They're pretty heavy. And I guess, I guess now's as good a time as any as to talk about some of them. I mean, well, no, it's not. We'll, we'll, kind of co- we'll, we'll cover quite a few as we get there. But trust me, there are more. And you'll, rec- you'll, you'll know them all. I mean, they're, they're, not, they're not even subtle ones. They're, they're pretty damn obvious. So we're in that infamous cantina. And the, man- the Mando, he doesn't have any money. He can't pay for the repairs that he needs on his ship. So he has to go and do what he does. He has to go and find, find uh, work tracking down, tracking down bounties. The, the, EV, the EV droid behind the bar offers, uh, tells him that there's just not a lot of guild work available in Mos Eisley right now which is fine with the Mando because he's not looking for guild work because the guild is after him. So he looks, he's looking for off the book stuff and the droid's not very helpful in that, but a gentleman seated behind the Mandalorian in the infamous spot occupied by Han Solo and Chewbacca in a new hope lets him know that he has a bounty that he could use a little help with. And this new person introduces himself as Toro Calican, and he's played by Jake Cannaval, which you probably recognize the name as the son of Bobby Cannaval. And uh, let me pause for a second here, too, because I know I have some weird predilections and some weird thoughts about things. 
But I'm just so tired of, of like the nepotism in Hollywood. I'm sure, I'm sure Jake Cannavale has a, has a very decent chance at becoming a very decent actor. But right now it just seems like he's the kid of somebody famous. And I think uh, once you see his acting chops in this episode, you might agree with me. He's not the best. He's fine. He's adequate. Maybe he gets better. I don't know. But again, I, I have a lot of personal grudges against the nepotism that seems to uh, permeate Hollywood these days. It's really uh, annoying and bothersome. So Toro offers the Mandalorian uh, a piece of this bounty. And so he shows him the puck on who the bounty is. And the bounty is for a character named, someone we actually talked about previously, before we even started doing these episodes, the the episode-by-episode covering of The Mandalorian. Uh, This is for Fennec Shan, being played by Ming-Na Wen, who you probably know from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you probably know from Mulan, and like a million other things. She's fantastic. So I love seeing her in this episode. And this is who the bounty's for. She is muscle for all kinds of intergalactic bad guys, but the New Republic has put all these intergalactic bad guys away. So they're trying to get Fennec Shand off the behind bars as well, apparently, get her put away. Now we find out that uh, the Toro is not an official member of the guild just yet, so he needs help from the Mandalorian. This will be his first capture, and this will get him into the guild. And he offers the Mandalorian reward, the entire reward, for helping bring down Fennec and getting him into the guild. It's a deal that the Mandalorian seems seems too good to the Mandalorian to pass up because uh, he's strapped for cash and he needs to get to get his ship repaired and get the hell out of there. Because he, uh, so hopefully he knows that there's more bounty hunters that are probably going to be tracking him down soon. So a deal is struck, and they make plans to take off. It also should be mentioned that... At, a lot of the scenes from the trailer are in this episode as well, especially that scene with the stormtrooper helmets on the spikes, on the, on the, on the pikes, I should say. So you see that as a Mandalorian is making his way to the cantina. Now, as the scene with, with, uh, with Toro is playing out, you have back in the, back in the hangar, back in the hangar you have, you have uh, Pelimoto and her pit droids playing cards, and they hear some noises coming from the ship. And it's, yeah, there it is, Baby Yoda, up and about. And so now Palimoto is going to be Baby Yoda sitter uh, for, the, for the stretch of this episode as well. It was an interesting... Again, I, I, I think it's a huge mistake to, to keep the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda away from each other. So this was a bit vexing to me. No offense to Amy Sedaris and her character, but I, I, I feel like we're... we're not quite hitting the point of the show at this point. We're, we're, we're making odd choices. Again, it's a little interesting when Baby Yoda kind of announces his presence in the ship. You know, we hear a noise first that sounds very reminiscent of what Obi-Wan Kenobi does in Episode Four with that, with that crate Dragon sound that he makes to scare off the Tusken Raiders. I don't know why Baby Yoda makes that sound, but it scares the bejesus out of, out of Peli and her droids. When they see the little figure Baby Yoda come, you know, waddling down the ramp, they're, they are rather surprised at what made that noise. And, uh, again, more fan service, throwing in that, that crate Dragon noise. So this partnership that, that Toro and the Mandalorian forge is already on dicey ground as Toro smashes the tracker. That way the Mandalorian can't leave him behind. It doesn't show a lot of trust, 
I suppose, in The Mandalorian. But The Mandalorian makes a poor decision, too. He doesn't know this guy. And he invites him back to his hangar dock. He says, meet me at my hangar. That seems like a poor plan, especially when you have a child you are trying to protect from other bounty hunters. You've just invited a bounty hunter to your hangar. This seems insane to me. Sorry, it just does. So what happens? They go back to the hangar. Mando goes back to the hangar. He finds, he finds Pelimoto with, with Baby Yoda. They're hanging out. They're discussing. She wants paid extra for taking care of the child. Seems reasonable. Seems more reasonable that the bounty hunter would take her with that the Mando would take Baby Yoda with him. But you know, whatever. I'm not in charge of the story. So of course, Toro's there. They meet with the speeders, which are reminiscent of the speeders that Anakin uses in episode three before he goes and hunts down some Tusken Raiders and kills everybody, as that's actually in episode two. Correction. Some more fan service right there. But not they and there they take off to go into the desert because the tracking fob for, for Fennec Shand indicates that she's out beyond the Dune Sea. Wink and a nod. But before they they don't leave before Toro sees the child. So then they take off into the desert. And it's a cool little scene. They're racing through the sand before they come upon Tusken Raiders. And a scene very reminiscent, a shot very reminiscent of the one from episode four, New Hope. Except this time, as Toro pulls down the, the binox where, he, where he's looked and seen the, the, the Banthas and the Tusken Raiders, the Mando points, and there's two Tusken Raiders right next to him now that he didn't see coming. Except instead of you know, doing the Tuscan Raider thing where they go into a fight and they're, arr, 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 before they do that whole thing, uh, the Mando knows how to communicate. And so basically they barter for passes through the Tuscan Raider territory and the cost is a new pair of Binox. Toro's not stoked on that, but the Mandalorian doesn't really give a shit. And then they're off. They're off to find Fennec Shand, the elite mercenary <laughs> who has worked for every top crime syndicate in the galaxy. I don't think it's going to go well. So again, they're on the speeders. And this time they come across another site. This is of a dewback on the ground with a body behind it, dragging a body across the sand. Now the Mandalorian and, and Toro are, are propped up behind a dune, and they're staying low because it seems suspicious to the Mandalorian. But he wants to go down and check it out, see what, what the deal is. So he makes his way down to the body on the, on the dewback, and they find out that it's another dead bounty hunter. And then Fennec Shand opens fire on the Mandalorian from a hidden point out in the, out in the mountain range because she has the high ground, which, as we know in Star Wars, is infinitely deadly. If you have the high ground, it's over. Don't even bother fighting. Well, all right, maybe you should still bother fighting. Now, one question I had, and this is just kind of weird and randomness, but obviously they're, out, they're, on, ta- they're on Tatooine. They're, it's a desert planet. And the, and the Mandalorian's covered from head to toe, basically, in this Besker metal. Doesn't that get hot? I don't know. Just a thought. Anyways, they're under fire. Fennec Shand has, has a modified MK rifle uh, that covers a lot of ground, packs a lot of punch. But, at least according to the Mandalorian, the only reason why he stayed safe and was able to absorb the shot was from the, is because of the distance between them. Uh, it, it seems to indicate that a, a much closer shot would have, from a closer range, would have gone right through his Beskar. So they they formed the strategy. Well, the Mandalorian has a strategy that they're going to wait it out, that they have no chance to to take her in her position 
in the daytime. So they're going to wait for nightfall. So the Mandalorian puts, uh, puts Toro on watch while he goes to rest up. And that's exactly what he does. Mando goes and takes a little bit of a nap. I'd like to mention at this point, too, that uh, Fennec Shan has a very cool look. The, this fun, like, uh, helmeted visor. Uh, it's just, uh, it's very cool, a little mysterious. Uh, but it seems highly efficient for a mercenary in the Star Wars universe. All right, so the sun goes down, and Toro's ready to ride. He sees the Mandalorian... And he starts yelling at him to wake up, and the Mando doesn't move. And then, then Toro decides to get cute, and, you know, look at you, you're asleep on the job, old man. Now I'm going to pull my gun and pretend like I want to shoot you. And it's, I don't know, would you really do this to a guy in a mask? Like, you don't know what's going on underneath that thing. It's, <laughs> it just shows that he's kind of a weird, jerky kid, this, this, this Toro Calican. So here's a really th- great set piece for this episode. One of the things that I really, really enjoyed, just like I enjoyed the space battle at the beginning, I enjoyed this scene. of the, the, the Mandalorian plan involves charging the ridge on the speeders and using flash grenades to make them harder to hit with the sniper rifle. Basically, the flashbang pops and it blinds Fennec Shan so she can't make the shot with the sniper rifle. It's a really fun scene. And it looks really good. You know, you're getting to see these speed bikes whipping across the sand in, in daytime. I'm sorry, in the, in the, in the moonlight. Yeah, Fennec's, Fennec's prepping to blast. There goes the first flare. Can't see. Cover more ground. And she's going to whip off that helmet, get her eyesight back. Now, one of the questions that I, I was curious about is they each take about two shots with their, with their flashbang, you know, flares. And it, I wasn't quite sure if... Toro on his second shot misfires in purpose or not. I was kind of curious about that because his misfire gets the Mandalorian blown off of his speeder bike. But the Mando's going to do the job. He fires his flare and then all of a sudden takes another shot to the chest so that Toro can go up and confront Fennec Shand. Now this seems to be part of the Mandalorian's plan. I don't know if taking the shot in the chest was, but it seems like he's using Toro as, as, as almost a decoy because they get into a bit of a fist fight and, and Toro seems completely outmatched by the awesome Fennec Shand character. The Mando gets up from the ground, feeling around in his chest. He's still alive, so it's like, okay, cool, I guess this did work. So now he's going to get there and get the drop on, on Fennec. So now there's a little bit of a, a squabble after they've placed Fennec Shand in, in, in cuffs, and that's the fact that they, they're short a ride now. Uh, we, ha- they, we have one speeder. So the Mandalorian suggestion is that, he sent, that Toro goes back to find the dewback. And they use the dewback to get back to, for, the man, for one of them and Fennec to get back to Mos Eisley. Yeah, Toro's not into that. He doesn't want to leave the bounty behind, risking believing that the Mandalorian would run off on the speeder on his own and just leave Toro out there in the desert. So the Mandalorian goes back to get the, to, goes back to get the dewback. And in, in fairly typical fashion... But then she starts sowing in this, like I said, she sows in those seeds of, dis, of distrust, saying that the Mando seems to be one calling the shots. And Toro's like, no, I hired the Mandalorian. He works for me. This is when Fennec Shan tells Toro that he already has something far more valuable than her. And that is the Mandalorian. She says his armor alone is worth more than the bounty on her. But Toro's like, I don't care about the money. Fennec says, what about your reputation? And then, he talk, then she mentions a Mandalorian shot up the guild on Navarro. 
Now, apparently, this is where we, we first find the name of the planet that the Mandalorian was on when he shot the place up on episode three, when he helped escape with the child, Navarro. We finally have a name for that planet. And that, that in doing so, he took a high-value target with him and went rogue, betraying the guild. This is piqued Toro's interest. So Fennec tells him, if you bring the guild that traitor, then that's going to solidify his reputation, and he's going to become a legend. Which is what really seems like Toro wants. So this is when Fennec also drops more information that seems to be getting around the galaxy. Apparently the word of what happened on Navarre is spreading like wildfire, and it's become the stuff of legends, the, the, the shoot-up of a man, the Mandalorian shooting up Navarre, Navarro and, and escaping with his target. Now, apparently the word is also out that the target is a child, so that's what Fennec tells tells Toro in order to convince him, in order to kind of help sow more seeds of dissent and distrust. And that's when it clicks with Toro, because he saw the child. So he knows that it's true now, and he knows that's the Mandalorian that these stories are about. Now, Fennec offers also to help him take out the Mandalorian, but uh, he's not that worried about it. Again, I you know, I'm watching the scene again as, as I'm relaying it to you guys, and I just... <laughs> This kid is just not a great actor yet. Maybe he will be, I, but it's I, I don't really buy a lot of his actions, his gestures. It just seems, uh, he just seems uncomfortable in this skin. And then he blasts Ming-Na Wen. He blasts Fennec Shand. And seeming, I, I'm not quite sure if he kills her. We'll talk about more about that a little bit later. Um, but it seems like a poor decision on his part. Because, sure... He can still go and get the bounty on the, on the Mandalorian if he wants, but why not collect a bounty also on Fennec Shand? Why not make your reputation even more powerful, more bigger, more, uh, a bigger legend, bigger reputation for yourself by bringing them both in? That just seems dumb, you know? Not that I thought this kid was smart, but that just seems dumb. And then they just leave her in the desert. So when the Mandalorian eventually comes back on his dewback, and he just finds the body of Shand laying in the, in the sand... Which leads to another weird decision. Why would he just leave the body in the sand? I'm assuming he can collect the bounty on a dead person too. So the Mandalorian goes back to Moss Eisley without anything. It's all very strange. And, and, and even more strange is that the Mandalorian doesn't even dismount from the dewback. Now perhaps the heads-up display in his helmet reveals that she is dead and that it's not worth pursuing. I can, I can give him that. But it still seems odd not to pick up the body and bring it back. Like, you can collect. The only thing that maybe makes me think that he can't collect is maybe he needed Toro to collect because maybe it is a guild bounty. And he knows that he can't collect it on his own. That's the only rationale I can think of. So he goes back to Moss Eisley, he goes back to the hangar, and he finds the speeder waiting there. So he knows Toro's inside. He knows Toro's figured it out via whatever means. So he goes in with Blaster Drawn. Pitroids are running around, they're scared. We find out that Toro has Baby Yoda and Pelimoto hostage. And Toro likes to emphasize that he's the one calling the shots now, so he tells Amanda to drop his blaster and put his hands up. Which, I feel like if you know anything about a Mandalorian, you would realize that even if without a blaster, a Mandalorian's still very armed and very dangerous at all times. So he sends... So Toro sends Peli down to, to cuff the Mandalorian so that he thinks he can trust him. Or think he is neutralized. But, of course, the Mandalorian weapon up his sleeve, or trick up his sleeve, still has the, one, of the, one of the flares. Petley sees that, knows that uh, he's not going to give in to this loser. 
And as he takes, takes, as Toro takes aim on the Mandalorian, what does he do? Oh, he's going to fire that flare. He blinds Toro, sneaks around to the side, gets the drop on him pretty easily. And also endangers Baby Yoda in the process. <laughs> because Toro gets blasted and falls with Baby Yoda in his arms. But fear not, Baby Yoda is okay. A lot, a lot of cooing and awing from Baby Yoda in this episode. It's uh, very cute and endearing as usual. Baby Yoda does his, does his magic on everyone. Lovey-dovey Baby Yoda. All right, so the Mandalorian pilfers the body of Toro. And he offers up all the money to, to Peli in order to pay for repairs and anything else extra on top of it. All right, and with their tab settled up, the Mando and Baby Yoda board the Razor Crest, and they're getting ready to get out of here. Our, our reminiscence on Tatooine is over. This is when they tell, Pelly tells the pit droids to drag the body to Beggar's Canyon. Again, wink and a nod to something else we know. And here we go, the Razor Crest takes off and leaves for its next destination. But, out in the Dune Sea, we have a tracking fob sounding. We see Boots in a cape approaching the body of Fennec Shand. Still appears that she's dead. We're not quite sure. They leave it kind of ambiguous because uh, this figure kneels down. Now, what did we just see? My suspicion is we just saw another Mandalorian tracking our Mandalorian. So we're going to get some Mando on Mando action potentially down the road. Uh, there's been some suggestion that perhaps it's just another Imperial figure who works for our heavy that we haven't met just yet, the, the Giancarlo Esposito character who's coming down the road. Um, I, I don't know. I, I kind of like this, this notion that perhaps there's another Mandalorian out there there, you know, this Mandalorian, our, our Mandalorian is on the run now with Baby Yoda, so he's not bringing in credits for the cause. So perhaps there's another Mandalorian out there doing this work, or perhaps this is a rogue Mandalorian. It's a fair assumption. We don't know much about this, this division of the Mandalorians. Are they all united? Are they all in hiding? Or are there factions? Are there sects that, that have different different codes, different beliefs than our Mandalorian in his sect that was on Navarro. Hello, everyone. This is Tom from the future. I'm coming back in time to interrupt this podcast with important news. Well, it's not even news. Uh, I'm coming back to address the rumors that are now swirling online after this episode that uh, perhaps... The boots in the cape that we saw indicate the arrival of Boba Fett on the scene. That would be interesting. It is a possibility that I did think of when I, when I first saw it. Uh, I sort of dismissed it out of hand because I wasn't sure if they were going to go there this season. I feel like uh, if you're going to introduce Boba Fett, you need to you need to make a bigger deal out of it. You need to kind of build that over over some time. Uh, but but you know the show moves fast, so maybe maybe they, maybe they're going to skip a couple steps and take care of that this season, or maybe they're just playing something up for next season, who knows. I also initially dismissed uh, the idea of Boba Fett because the cape and the boots don't match with what we know of Boba Fett's, Boba Fett's costume. However, uh, if you spend any time bathing in the digestive juices of a Sarlacc pit, perhaps you need new boots and cape. So yes, I've heard the rumors there is a... There's a, there's a decent chance that, that, that they're right, that it is Boba Fett. I kind of don't think so, though. But... I have to be fair. I have to... Um, I'm here to give you guys information. And, and, and 
all the information that I have in my brain on these topics. And in order to do that, we have to have a Boba Fett conversation. And that's why later this week, you are going to get a special Mandalorian supplemental episode, The Boba Fett Debate. Get ready. That's going to be coming the middle of this week, okay? The great Boba Fett debate will begin. And now back to the show. The, the, the biggest frustration with this episode in particular is, is we're, we're getting more questions, but we're, the, the answers are just being just dripped out of, at the slowest possible paces. Um, again, I like so much of this episode. I, I know I sounded hypercritical of it. And to an extent, I am hypercritical of it because as much as I love fan service at the same time, if you're going to give me as much fan service as you gave me in this episode, help advance the story more with it. And I'm not sure they really succeeded in advancing the story. Like I said at the beginning, this kind of felt like a bit of a detour episode. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, by the way, we really are in the Star Wars universe. Here's Tatooine for you. And it's like, ah, I don't know if I need Tatooine right now. You know, you spent four chapters giving me all these new things, these new planets that you're not even naming, you know, these new experiences. And now to go back into the familiar seems a bit, it's not jarring, but it just seemed to kind of go against the grain of what we've gotten so far. And again, I'm okay with that if it served the purpose of the story. If they're like, hey, I need to go to Tatooine because those, those power converters on Ta at Tashi Station are the best ones you can get in the quadrant, so we need those. At least that's something. Uh, you know, it, it just seems all very random here. And then again, uh, it was a lot of opportunity for, for, for fan service. Again, nothing wrong with fan service. Just advance your story while you're giving me the fan service. Trust me, I love going back to Mos Eisley. I love seeing the bar where Han Solo shot first. That's right, Han Solo shot first. And Greedo did not say McClunky. I don't know if you guys have seen that cut yet. Holy balls. Okay. I like those things, but it, it was a little heavy with the references. I mean, you know, you, you it, it's countless. I, you, guys watch, you guys watch the episode. I know you picked them all up. Anyway, so there were some frustrations with this episode because of that fact. We, we really didn't learn anything new. The Baby Yoda's mystery wasn't advanced. The Mandalorian's mystery wasn't advanced. So there's not really a lot to dissect, to pull through on this one, which is a little bit of a bummer because it was just too busy uh, jerking us off with, with episode four references. Again, which I'm okay with to an extent. But if you want to jerk me off, I mean, you know, you can at least whisper sweet nothings in my ear at the same time. Good Lord. You know, well, that's a big graphic. I apologize. Maybe. Hopefully I didn't offend anybody. In conclusion, I like the episode. And perhaps after the season wraps up, after, after chapter eight, which is only three away, guys, we're almost at the end already. Perhaps I can look back on this with a bit more of an objective view because I'll understand the context of this episode better in relation to the rest of the series overall. I don't know if we'll get there. Like I said, it, it, detour is the best word I can describe for it. It just felt like a, like a break from what we were getting. And it, it seemed a, a little bit of, of, of changing what we were getting from the show, too. Like I said, I kind of like this, this, this new and unknown as opposed to visiting all the familiars. It's like, you know, I mean, are we going to be stoked to get back to Hoth next week? Do we need to see that? Anyways, just a gripe. And I guess while I'm on the gripe, I, I'll, I'll mention it one more time. I do think keeping Baby Yoda in the Mandalorian apart from each other, is a mistake. Unless it has to do, again, it, unless it's in the service of the story, in that the 
they are being kept apart for a specific reason or because of forces against them, that sort of thing. Let their relationship continue to develop and evolve by having them spend more time together. Let us see how the Mandalorian is kind of changing and evolving in the presence of this child. And just like, and the same thing for baby Yoda, see how he is reacting to the actions of the Mandalorian. Now, remember this baby Yoda is force sensitive and we assume baby Yoda is on the, on the side of right. He's with the Mandalorian, a, a, in the Star Wars universe, a, a, a character who lives in the gray, who does uh, questionable things. Now he does seem to have a code. He does seem to have beliefs, but he's not above killing people. I don't think Yoda was a big fan of random acts of violence. But again, just serve the story. Serve the story and give me some story. I just felt like there just wasn't enough story here. We got, we, got, we got to go on a tour of Tatooine, which is fun in a lot of ways. It really, really is. I just wish we'd gotten a little bit more meat out of that story. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Now, perhaps, and this is speculation, Perhaps was, this was just a needed break before these final three episodes. Maybe these next three just really ramp things up and we start getting all the information, all the story. And then, I, again, like I said, I'll have nothing to complain about. This, is, this would just end up being a nice little visit to a familiar locale. And that can be that. Let's hope that chapter six, seven, and eight really pick up the pace. Uh, the tagline, the little plot tag for for chapter 6 is out right now. It, it is available to look up. And it just it says that the Mandalorian hooks up with a gang of mercenaries. Okay. Well, let's see where that goes. I'm, I'm curious. But make sure you keep Baby Yoda with you. I think it's time to get that little Baby Yoda backpack thing going on. Because you don't want that kid out of your sight. You can't. There's too many people after him. After you. Let's get more aggressive with the protection of Baby Yoda. Let's stop. Get, let's, let, let's stop with the nonsense. Stop putting him in cabinets. Stop expecting him to stay when you tell him to stay. He's not a dog. He's Baby Yoda. And Baby Yoda do what Baby Yoda wants. And that's all I got for you today, folks. I hope you've enjoyed my ramblings on this episode of The Mandalorian. I know I sound like I'm being a fucking hater. <laughs> I know. I know I sound like a hater on this episode. I'm not hating on it. I'm just, I'm just asking for more. Give me, give me more. I know the show can be more. I know the show can do better, and it will. I, there's no doubt in my mind about that. So let's wrap it up proper, folks. Okay. Follow us on the social medias if you don't mind at Tomcast underscore Popcast on Twitter at the Tomcast underscore Popcast on Instagram. You can email me TomcastPopcast at gmail.com. You can officially join Pophead Nation at Patreon.com forward slash TomcastPopcast which is going to get you super cool bonus episodes. And as I mentioned before, if you don't mind, click that little subscribe button on your, on your Apple Podcast app and drop us a five-star review. It would be super, super awesome if you did so. We would love it because small, independent podcasts like this, we need all the help we can get. And love and support from our, our dedicated audience members is what's going to help us do that. So spread the word about us. We, we've, the Pophead Nation needs to grow. All right, so that was our Chapter 5 Mandalorian review, and this has been Issue 60. And like I said, I didn't talk about it before we got into the show, but I played some fun, festive, intense Christmas music to kick off the show because it is December. And you know what? I only have so many, so many shows that I can play 
holiday music for. So uh, get ready to hear more of that for the rest of the month. I hope you enjoy the sty- the eclectic stylings that I will pick for holiday music. I'm not sure you're going to get any Bing Crosby on this podcast, but you're going to get some Rob Halford and some other badass stuff. That's for sure. All right. Thanks again so much for listening, guys. I will talk to you all soon. Be safe. Take care of each other. And most of all, ciao, babes. We're not going to be fucking sunk this year. We're the Stanley Cup champions.